When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Monday afternoon. It's football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Jeff Woody, I've got a significant announcement for you. Are you ready for this announcement? Are you ready? I don't know if I can be. With that, with how loud and how intent that intro was, hit me with it. Football and random things is now brought to you by our friends at Wiffle, Wiffles Hybrid. Chris literally closed the deal as he let me into the office today so we can't tell you a ton more about wiffle cyber today but we have yet th- we can tell you right now they are the new presenting sponsors of football and random things well i appreciate it wiffle cyber we thank you we genuinely you. appreciate your support of everything we do here on the fart i don't know if that's really like the best advertising for wiffles i mean maybe maybe that's the brand they're going for i feel like that's what they i mean realistically like they they have to know what they paid for right if it's football and random things if they just like even just in a meeting you know like with their ad people mm-hmm. and uh they like instead of writing it fo- football and random things out like they put it as an acronym like does someone read through that and go okay maybe this isn't super serious well i can tell you that i was on sikkim 365 last week in waco and they asked me the the guy who was hosting said i see here you're the host of football and random things and he paused and he was like is that supposed to be what i think it is <laughs> and i was like Absolutely. yeah yes. yeah it's 100 yes, it what you think it is yes it is there is nothing else behind that other than the fact that we have a uh, a person who i think there's two people that have low-grade adhd that are on this podcast and every once in a while it spirals into nothing and some of those things happen to be fart jokes so you get some serious football analysis with fart jokes. So thanks, Wiffles Hybrids, for making this happen. We have plenty of uh, serious football to get to here today, obviously. It's game week, baby. It's, it's game week. We've made it. Iowa State. And uh, here, I guess I could have given you some applause, but now the moment's kind of passed. So. You need to get the, ra- the uh, hip-hop hype horn. There we go. Some applause. It's game week. We've made it. I'm going to stop that. Uh, Iowa State, Southeast Missouri on Saturday at 1 p.m. in Jack Trice Stadium. Uh, interesting game to get ready for because there's it's one thing like when Iowa State plays Northern Iowa and we know quite a bit about Northern Iowa we know what they're going to try and do we know a lot about Mark Farley and his program but now they're playing an FCS team that I've never seen play before Mm -hmm. I'm going to imagine you've never seen play before correct and we'd know very little about at this point other than what you can discern from their camp reports that their SID has put out. So and it's just an interesting dynamic for game one. And when we, in, in Iowa, we're kind of a little bit spoiled um, with college football coverage because we have a Big Ten team, we have a Big 12 team, and then when you go to the FCS level, the Missouri Valley is by far, mm-hmm. way far and away, the best conference in the, in the country at the FCS level. Uh, and so we kind of get used to, and then you kind of get used to that, and then there's Drake, which is the non-scholarship division, which is kind of like a weird kind of technically the same level, but like it's a step in, in below there. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like in between. So like where where SEMO is from is they're in the Ohio Valley Conference, not the Missouri Valley Conference. And they are still a scholarship program, but they are not quite to the tier of the Missouri Valley. So you have this like weird 
kind of tweener space that we're not super familiar with as fans because we normally don't, you know, the teams that we normally schedule for the first game of the year are teams from the Missouri Valley, which is horrible because they're, again, that's the best conference in FCS. You get UNI, South Dakota State, South Dakota, North, I mean, those, those, all those schools are in that conference. So now you have like a, a lower tier than, I mean, it's sort of like the Power Five is non-Power Five. They're I mean, like a, the MAC version of FCS. Where I, mean, I think you can put it even in basketball terms. Like these conferences both exist in basketball terms. But I think everybody would say the Missouri Valley Basketball Conference probably ranks ahead of the Ohio Valley. Obviously, that's the case since the Missouri Valley literally just took the two best schools from the Ohio Valley this year. So realignment talk, man. Yeah, realignment. It all it all comes back to realignment, and that's how we end up with Steve Prohm coming to the Nap Center in Des Moines here later this year. Uh, ticket lines going to be insane. Yeah, I'm sure that the, it'll just be jam packed. Everybody ready to get back out there to watch the Murray State Racers and the Drake Bulldogs. But anyway, that's what I'm trying to say is like that to put in perspective, like people, I think, understand the basketball sense of it. Like the Missouri Valley is here. The Ohio Valley is here. And especially in football where they're not going to have teams that are ranked all the way up and down the standings, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, where Northern Iowa could be 500 in their conference and be the number 20 team in the country. Right. And the the talent level then, like the way that I kind of describe it, uh, all right, I, at least so this is when, you know, you have guys on the team that you're playing with and they're from Texas or Florida or wherever, California, and the states with these huge populations that notoriously put out a whole bunch of like your high level talent. And so for me, it's sort of like the difference if, if it's sort of like a like a carrot, you know, like you. The, like the grammatical thing, the carrot, where it's kind of like the, the, where you in, insert a superscript. And so like that shape, well, if it's really, really wide and really, really flat, where the, the points are really far apart and the, the, the peak of that carrot is just a little bit higher, that's like Texas, California, and Florida, where the 39th place person, 39th best person in Texas is not too different than the first place person in Texas versus in Iowa in high school sports, that carrot is narrower, but the peak is the same height. Like the, the best guys in Iowa are about the same as the best guys in Texas, Florida, but the 37th guy in Iowa is like way substantially worse than the first guy in, in, in Iowa. So take that to the, the teams. When you go to smaller and smaller conferences, the peak is still fairly close. Like the running back for SEMO is, would probably play at most division one, even kind of the power five Groups. He's a good player. He's a really good player. Gino Hess is his name. Yeah. But the drop off that you have from there to like the twelfth best guy on your roster, the best guy on that roster is probably is again sort of equivalently as good as the best guy on another roster, or is at least not that far different. But then, yeah, the thirteenth or twelfth guy on that roster is substantially worse. And so, like, you start running into the thing where depth is a problem, consistency is a problem, and where this is at its biggest and most pronounced is the lines the offensive and defensive lines, because they don't just make six foot four, 300 pound people. They just don't have. So, and even if you do, the ones that are athletic enough to then play football all go to the higher levels because it gives them the best chance to go in the NFL. So like most of the time, your offensive linemen are big and strong at the power five level. And then they're big or strong as you get down to the lower levels. And then they're kind of big and kind of strong. And then they're not really either one of them, like the farther down you go. So SEMO is a a unique thing that they're going to have enough talent at certain positions to make plays, but they're probably not going to have enough depth and consistent talent across the board to make too much of a dent if Iowa State doesn't completely overlook it. 
A good example of this, I think, is their situation at quarterback where uh, they had their returning starter uh, coming into to camp and he got beat out by a transfer from NAIA Central Methodist University. Uh, who will be in his, I think, third year of playing college football. He's completed about 50% of his passes at the NAIA level, and he came in and beat the incumbent starter uh, in a position battle. I mean, that's just one of those things where it's like, if an NAIA kid went into a program and, I mean, if an NAIA kid showed up at North Dakota State, like, you can probably generally assume that that guy's not going to beat out the starting quarterback. You know, but I think that that's just kind of an illustration of, like, what this team is composed of. It's like, they brought in 50 newcomers. They're not... Maybe they're getting some bounce backs or bounce downs, I guess, from the FBS level, but most of them are going to be guys that are lower level players moving up to that FCS level to try and prove themselves. Mm-hmm. That or, makes sense. or a Juco guy going yeah, to a four-year school. Guy. Yeah, like I that. think they had quite a few Juco guys that came in this year. Yeah, and it is really interesting when you're looking into the first week because there is natural uncertainty about everything. Like, you're not going to beat a dead horse, but like Nebraska Northwestern, I'm just bringing this up for one thing. Not necessarily to shit on Nebraska, but the the fake or like the 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 attempted onside kick that was a very poorly thought out thing. And the reason why is because when you are actually going through to game plan something like that, what you're looking at is for Nebraska that that attempted onside kick. You're looking at one guy, and if he leaves early, if as the kick like as the kicker is approaching the ball. If one of the returners in the front line on either anywhere, guard, tackle, whatever, the first guy in, middle guy outside, if his, he turns his head and starts running early and he stops looking at the ball, then you just tell your kicker, hey, full speed, get that guy's head to turn and then kick it where he should be. Well, you only have five at that point, four, maybe five opportunities of kicking off to get any type of semblance of what that guy's actually going to do. If that guy stays there and doesn't turn and run, there's no kick you can make to make that pass perfect. There's none. And so like you have this innate uncertainty that you can't really do things like that. So it was just a stupid move, regardless of circumstance. Like you only have five opportunities to understand what that guy's going to do. If he doesn't turn and run early, it's not going to work. So bring that back to SEMO and Iowa State. A lot of this kind of has to be a little bit vanilla because you can't attack anything you don't know. Now, granted, if you know that like their corners, and I haven't looked at necessarily the depth chart, so like, but let's say their corners are like five, eight and five, nine or something like that. And you get Sean Shaw one-on-one in the red zone. You know, probably that that guy, that Sean Shaw is probably going to be able to go up and get the ball a little bit better than that other guy is just based on like matchups and stuff. But at the same time, not saying they are at the same time, uh, Brian Peavy was a shorter guy and was really good at that jump ball situation. So like you still, you're going to run into stuff that on paper, it should make sense. But then in reality, it doesn't make sense. So everybody's kind of feeling each other out. And so week one, going into week one, it is always a weird thing because even game plan wise, you're just taking your best stab at what you think is going to work. And now you're going against a team that you have no court, like reasonable corresponding film to what it's going to be. So I don't know. It is. I'm excited for it because I have no idea necessarily what to expect. And I feel like if someone were to have some idea what to expect, it would be people that work covering the Iowa State team. But geez, I I just looked up. uh, I looked up their two starting cornerbacks. Ty Leonard is expected to start on one side. He's six foot one seventy. The other one is uh, Tyler Tyler Nalome, six three one ninety three. That's some big dudes. Good-sized corners. Yeah, those are some big big dudes at the corner spot. Uh, But no, I think when you, like, 
you just go through, I went through all of these things with the, the preseason uh, reports that their SID was doing. And in almost all of them, you would, I'd walk away from it and be like, man, okay, so they've got like one or two guys that they feel pretty good about. And then everybody else is just like, we're still figuring it out a little mm-hmm. bit, you know? So that that's what'll be interesting, I think, especially for them offensively. Like you've got a brand new quarterback who's playing in his first division one game. Against John Haycock. Against John Haycock. At Jack, at Jack Trice. At Jack Trice Stadium. Um, they bring back three guys on, uh, that started on their offensive line, a couple of guys who were all conference last season, but it's like they also played Missouri last season and were down 52 to seven at the end of the third quarter. Yeah. You know, so I just, I guess I just don't know what to expect from them because they brought in so many new people and it's, I mean, this Paxton De Laurent, De Laurent, the new quarterback, it seems like he's a different type of guy than what their old one was. So it's like, what will their offense look like? I don't think we really know. You know, they're going to hand the ball off to that running back a bunch of times. Yeah, That's five, about we can. 537 times they're going to give it to him against this defense. Yeah, I think I, I thought I wrote it down how many. Okay, he in he's already played four seasons. He's a sophomore. Uh, he's played in 33 games and carried the ball 454 times in four years and has two years of eligibility remaining. He carried it 203 times, I think, last season. So say, you know, hypothetical, he stays healthy for the next two years, and now he's obviously the focal point of their offense. He gets 225 touches a year. He's going to have 1,000 carries in his college career. That was that. We were texting back and forth about this. Those are Ron Dane numbers. Yeah. Well, yeah, I looked it up. I was like, what's the record for most carries in a collegiate career? I mean, all of them were from the 90s and stuff like that. You know, I think I immediately texted you. Oh, yeah, I forgot nobody threw the ball until 2000, (laughs) you know. So then everybody look at like Ron Dane had like 1,200 carries in three or in four years or something like that. Something crazy, you know. But still, I mean, in 2022 for a guy to have almost 500 carries at this point in his career, like that's pretty that goes to show they're really working to make him the focal point of everything. They're giving him the football a lot. Yeah, that's going to be it's going to be the show that they're going to bring to town. And so I feel like this game could go like one of two ways. And obviously there are infinite number, you know, there's infinite numbers of ways this go, but like, I feel like the, it's going to fall into one of two camps. Either it's going to go like UNLV last year, where at a certain point, like it was sort of like back and forth ish for like four minutes. And then after that, uh, the Iowa state coaching staff was like, okay, this is what we're getting. This is what we like gone, you know, and it just took off or it could go like, you know, a, not necessarily exceptionally poorly, but like a game where uh, they can't quite find rhythm because Iowa State is also breaking in a lot of new guys. I think defensively, I have much less questions, mm-hmm. especially because Iowa State's run defense, Iowa State's run defense might be better this year than it was last year. I mean, your starters, I don't know how, again, replacing any Wazirike is a huge deal. And then if they're going to have Singleton do that, then they would have to have a backup for whatever. So like the, the twos might be a little bit harder, but you go to Ryan Vance, hopefully staying, being able to stay healthy the entire season like he wasn't last year at, you know, 250, 260 pounds is basically a defensive end playing Mike linebacker. You have Gary Vaughn, who's in there, who's a super talented guy himself. And you have, uh, and then uh, Colby Reader is going to be replacing Mike Rose. Plus, Will McDonald's still there. Isaiah Lee's still there. J.R. Singleton's still there. Bo Freeler or Freiler is still going to be the kind of the hitter safety. The run defense is going to be really, really good. The pass defense is where a lot of it's been kind of turned over because you're replacing, you're, you're replacing your corners. You're replacing sort of all three safeties, kind of. like. But anyway, the pass defense is going to be a little bit more of a question. But luckily for Iowa State, first two games, doesn't matter. 
you don't have to worry about the pass game much. So you have, I think defensively, I have much less question. I don't feel like Southeast Missouri is going to put up many points at all against the starting unit. Like the, the game might end up with SEMO scoring, you know, 23 points, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they get some after garbage time. But I don't think off, like defensively, I have very few questions. It's offensively. It could be a little bit stagnant because Hunter Deckers could just be absolutely just jacked to the rafters with how much energy he's going to be coming out and playing with. And he might be putting 95 mile an hour fastballs to every single spot on the field because he's just trying to get used to it. So it might be a slow offensive start. You have to figure out what's the rhythm going to be like with your running backs in the offensive line. We've talked about this plenty. Like I got to understand where my running back is delivered. If I'm a guard, I got to understand where my running back is delivering what linebackers and at what point are they cutting off of against opponents. They're all that all that stuff still has to get figured out. So it could be like a slower offensive start than we want just because everything is just hitching, like trying to find rhythm, but eventually they will still get it going. So either like, I don't think that they're, I mean, maybe they can just be by talent. I don't think that Iowa state's going to come out and like first drive to play touchdown. Like maybe they will. I feel like this game, they might kind of be like a UFC fight where they're just sort of like keeping space, like finding each other's distance for a bit. And then at that point, Iowa State starts to take off. So I don't know. I feel like this game is going to start slow-ish on offense and then take off from there. Can I give you a a guy that I hope plays for SEMO this year? Absolutely. Uh, they got an intense battle for the guard spots right now and along the offensive line. A handful of guys competing for that spot, including a sophomore named Kobe Sixkiller. Is he killing sixes? I don't know. Or does he have six kills? I don't know. Does his family have six? I want to know. That's what I'm saying. I want to know the answer. I I think I I wrote that in Monday Musings today. I want to know everything there is to know about Kobe Sixkillers, him family heritage. What's insane about that is that they're probably, I mean, there has to be something crazy because like every name, especially like the Anglican names, like the traditionally Anglican names are like, my last name is Woody. If the, back in like the 15th century, when they first started recording censuses, they would just go around and say like, all right, your name is John and your name is John. Well, your name, you're John Woody because you from, you're by the trees and you're John Fields because you're out in the field. So like the, that's where the surnames initially came from. And then it just kind of stuck. So like at some point, six kill or six killer had to have been given in some fashion, and I have no idea where it came from, but that has to be a story. Sorry, I'm reading a little bit here about uh, Kobe Sixkiller, but yeah, that's... Uh, okay, I'm seeing here some uh, clarification. He is of uh, Native American descent, which is what I would have guessed based okay. on that name. So uh, yeah, that that's a hell of a name, though. That's a cool I, name. I couldn't, like, we couldn't get past the discussion of Iowa State's defensive line versus their offensive line without acknowledging Kobe Sixkiller, even though he might not play at all. I just had to... Just the name. Yeah, I had to had to throw the name out there. Um, what do you, what's like the number one thing? What do you want to see from Iowa State? What's something that you are most excited to see, I guess, out there on the field finally? I think the easy answer is Deckers. Yeah. You Don't, know? then pick something else. So I think we just, do the hard things around here. Hard farts. Yeah. So I think the thing that I want to see the most is just general offensive rhythm. You know, like you can kind of feel it when you're watching a team and they kind of, they, they understand Where's the next thing coming from? They're not really taken off guard too much. Now, that doesn't mean that every play is automatically successful, but like you get to be second and 12. Uh, shoot, we had a holding penalty and now we're whatever, whatever, you're second and 12. 
that you can still kind of get out of that. You know that the, the routes are on time. The, the reads are clean between on like zone read stuff. Uh, the running backs are making cuts that they're not getting hit right away. And even if they are, it's because there's like a blitzer or something like that. Like there's general rhythm. Like that's the biggest question I think that I have is how tidy is the offense going to be? Because defenses, this is just general rule of thumb. Defenses come along faster than offenses because defenses, you have to be a smart player, but you have to be a smart player before the snap. And then you have to be an instinctive player after the snap. Like you have to know your keys and pay and where, where your eyes supposed to be. What's going to, where, where should I be on this play? But then I go, okay, guard goes this way. I go this way, find ball, hit ball. Like at that point you have certain, like it's more instinctive that you can do that. The only time that really applies on offense is when you have the ball in your hands. Like that's when you're an instinctive player. You can just do that, but you have to be more calculated and more together. And that together has to just come through natural repetition. So defense is going to come along. Like I think the defense is going to be really solid. They're going to look awesome. I don't have any questions on that. It's just, is there offensive rhythm on Saturday against a team where you should be able to push them up and down the field? All right, give me a player you're excited to watch besides Hunter Deckers. I think the corners, you know, like, again, I've heard so much about those guys. Yeah, and I, especially like for me being an Iowa guy and like just general talent wise, I think Darian Porter, he's tall. He's one of the fastest dudes in the conference. He's a, a terrific athlete he's really tough he's been on special teams he's been like it's like been him and rory walling have been like the two special teams guys for the past like 13 years so how how does he translate on defense now again i don't think that this offense and now granted it could be different because they have 50 new players and a new quarterback but i don't think that this offense is going to be all that much of like challenging your secondary they're not going to be like trying to get you know, these really fancy complex concepts, especially because they know they have to hold up long enough for Will McDonald to not hit their quarterback. So I, I'm, I don't know how much they're actually going to be tested, but I'm going to be interested in watching them and how they compete with the wide receivers, how they run fit, how they be a productive part of that defense. Like Anthony Johnson was so good at Anthony Johnson might've only had, you know, one PBU, but he has like seven tackles in a game because he's fitting everything the right way. They're going to be really run oriented. That's just like a toughness thing and knowing what's happening. So I'm, I think that's the group that I'm excited to see is those four corners with Darian Porter again, because I'm Iowan, I want to see the Iowan guy. Uh, but with those guys being, you know, how do they fit and what do they look like this year? <clears throat> Excuse me. I think if I had to throw one out there, Colby reader is one that I, I think I'm excited to, to see just, I mean, they've talked a lot about him, and it sounds like he's done a really good job of acclimating into the defense. And, I mean, that's a grown-ass man out there that's going to be making his first Power 5 start. 6'4", 240? Yeah. And is 24 years old. Yeah. He's basically like, I mean, I'm just saying in far as size and age, he's basically like if Mike Rose had just gotten another year. Yeah. And when, you, and I feel like when they, when he puts the helmet on, puts the pads on, I don't know what number he's going to wear, but like you could probably sit there and if, if you tried to tell someone, yeah, that's Mike Rose, they'd probably believe you. If you just squinted hard enough. Yeah. But I don't know. For us up in the press box, he'll probably look a lot like Mike Rose. I don't know how much hair, how much, what his flow situation it's, is. It's not quite at Mike Rose levels, but I think he's got pretty good flow. Yeah. Is it a necessity that if you're going to play outside linebacker at Iowa State, you have some flow? I mean, I think that at this point, you can generally assume that if you're if you're white and you're playing that position, you probably have to have, have to. the flow. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, like every one of those guys has had it. Hummel, 
Mike? Yeah. Reader? And the funny thing is they don't have it when they're young. There's something about being in that linebacker room. The longer you're in there, the longer your hair grows. Tight ends the same way. Those guys end up with long hair by the time they leave too. See, see what Easton Dean's got on the, in, the, in the lettuce department. Yeah, the more lettuce you have, the better you are at football. I think that that's generally – it's just like in hockey. If you got the hockey mm, flow, sure, then, sure. then you're automatically bumped up like 10 spots. You know, Your Madden rating's 10 points higher. Right, but if you've got just a normal fade, I mean, you might as well just like quit playing. You might as well just quit trying. The other thing I'm excited for, <laughs> to get off of hair conversation, because I'm jealous, is what are the natural rotations in the points when rotation is necessary? Yeah. Like, cause dorks like us are, you know, you're sitting there and you go, okay, well they're up 28 to six. It's the middle of the second quarter. You know, this is a, a, a hopeful situation, which, you know, fingers crossed they're up 28 to six. They're still in a point where they're not going to like put their, all their backups in. So they're going to start substituting halfway in and halfway out. Who are the guys I think, you know, defensive line and linebacker are two positions that we're like. Well, you got like 13 guys. You know who the starters are, mm -hmm. but beyond those starters, there are a bunch of dudes, half of them named, named Peterson, that are going to be able to play. So who are the ones that rotate in to be taking snaps in meaningful situations against a team who has a good running back, who has offensive linemen that can push people around, that's actually going to get some like live shots before you go into an opponent that is substantially better the following week. And then you get... Uh, a Mac team, which is not Ohio's usually pretty good in the Mac, and it's then not you go Frank Solich's Mac, uh, Ohio Bobcats, though. Still, they're they're still not. They're, I mean, they're better than Sino, and so then you have Baylor right away. So you have kind of a, a toe the water situation this week to kind of get ready for what it looks like later, because you're going to need those bodies with how physical the next few weeks are going to be, and it's I'm I'm. Interested to see how much run they get in the first half. Again, assuming that you get some garbage time towards the end of the game, that you can start replacing people to to hopefully keep everyone healthy. All right, let me have you make a prediction here. Then late in the game, Hunter Deckers comes out. Who's who comes in as his backup and who who takes over that lead in the offense? I feel like it's. I mean, I think Rocco has got to be. Rocco would be the guy in those situations that has the highest upside yeah. for getting those snaps. The in. developmental the developmental side of it, the yeah. developmental side of it. But at the same time, you have two other guys uh that are potentially higher in the depth chart that yeah, Ashton you, Cook and Nate Glance. Yeah. That you might want to get reps with just so then, God forbid, knock on wood, something does happen. You have a guy who's gotten live reps, but at the same time, Rocco Rocco's probably the future. Mm -hmm. So you might want to get Rocco some some looks. So I mean you might have a couple guys in there. So maybe they get, you know, whoever the the other two, they might each, you know, get a drive a piece, you know, and hopefully it's a situation again, using like UNLV as an example, or the Kansas game from last year, where it's like 42 to zero right away. That'd be awesome. And you can essentially the entire second half, you can play as garbage time. I don't expect that because I don't think it's going to be a fast enough start for either team to right. really feel comfortable with it because it is the, the season opener. But if you get a whole half that I would imagine you're going to get multiple quarterbacks that are going to play just for different reasons to make sure that they all get some kind of live reps against somebody else. What do you hope to see from the offensive line in this game for you to feel comfortable about where that position group is going into next week? I don't, I just want to see the running backs mostly clean for the first few yards, like the first three to five yards. 
It's the running backs and the offensive line working together, them hitting their blocks, me as a running back setting up where they need to go. Then after that, it's, I mean, go be a dude. Like, juke somebody out, truck somebody, stiff arm, spin, whatever. Go be a player from from that point forward. So what I want to see is the running backs, like, they don't necessarily have to get nine yards of carry, but they're relatively clean until they get three, four yards down the field. So what I want to see is, I think you can tell an offensive line is run blocking exceptionally well when you go, wait, that was a six yard gain. Like one of those kind of things where you didn't realize because the line of scrimmage yeah. like universally moves down the field because everybody did a really good job. And you're right. like, wait, second and four. That's cool. Kind of look like nothing. Like that's when an offensive line does really, you know, that's consistently pretty good. Obviously the big flash plays, like that's exactly what you always want these big flash plays, but just consistently resetting the line and moving everything with where the running back's going. So they're more or less clean through three, five yards. All right. This is, this might be a stupid question, but I'm just going to, I'm going to ask it. Cause I was thinking about this during the Nebraska game the other day. Uh, you know, they'd talked a lot, you know, the offensive linemen, they've been puking, throwing up and everything. And they, they talked about how much work that they'd done early in the game. I noticed it was like, man, it seems like a lot of Nebraska's offensive linemen are at the bottom of these piles all the time when they're trying to run block. And that to me was like, why is the defensive lineman laying on top of the offensive lineman so often in these scenarios? And that was one of those things where I was like, I was wondering in my own dumb brain, if I, the more offensive linemen I see at the bottom of the pile, the more I'm going to be like, man, this run blocking is really freaking bad. Is that crazy for me to think that? I mean, depends on the situation, but probably yes. Yeah. Like there are times when if you're pushing someone and like you are at such an angle and you're yeah, kind of yeah. kicking their ass and they sort of, they, they have to they like just kind of fold pedal. down. Yeah. They, they fold, fold down, down on top of you. Yeah. And that's a, that's a situation where that makes sense. But if sense, it's at the line of scrimmage and that then that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. that's not ideal. Yeah. Especially, you know, it's, it's also like generally pretty risky because if you're on the bottom, that means you would have gotten rolled into because all the stuff is behind you and not yeah. behind them. So like it's generally pretty risky. So you want to avoid that. Um, I guess another thing, just thinking about just being at the bottom of a pile and just talking about like at the line of scrimmage, Colin Downing playing center. Trevor Downing. Tre- sorry, not Colin Downing. Trevor Downing. One of these years, you're going to remember that Colin Downing graduated like five years ago. I don't know what you're talking about. He's still here. So Trevor Downing. Jesus. So Trevor Downing is playing center. And having him be the one that makes all the calls and communicates everything is something he's only done one time before in the Clemson game. Now, granted, he's done that in practice, all through spring ball, all through summer all through fall camp so it's a thing that he kind of understands now but you're going to get new looks that aren't exactly what you saw on film especially in week one against a team that you don't have a ton again they have a totally new roster they have a totally new like you have no common opponents that you can see what you're going to be playing against right. so stuff's gonna be new like he's gonna have to make decisions and communicate down and, and like communicate down up and down the line from tackle to tackle fullbacks running backs whatever to exactly what's happening so Another thing that you can tell if he's doing that well and communicating well is you don't have a lot of free runners in any situation, meaning there's a linebacker, defensive lineman that is just totally unblocked. Now, granted, the athleticism, if Deion Silas has a defensive tackle one-on-one in space, he's probably winning that. So it it might be still a, quote, successful play if there's a free runner. But that also means that someone missed something somewhere. We didn't communicate exactly how to adjust for everything because there should be rules for pretty much every situation to happen. So if Downing can say, this is, we're we're setting the blocking off this guy. You're coming with me. You two are doing this. That's how it's going to work. So 
I don't know. That's another thing that I'm interested in with the offensive line is that they are, there's not a lot of free runners. So they, they understand on, on run or pass downs, that they understand who's taking what in completely new situations. All right. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap this thing up? No, I, I mean, the only thing that, again, I, I, I will caution just a little bit is everything is new. The entire, I mean, the, the whole offense might be new. We don't know. And you're going against a team you have no idea about. And yes, you're more talented than they are. But if it's six to zero, six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes into the game, don't feel like the whole season is lost. Like, understand that they're still trying to figure out where the advantages are, who's doing what. Now, if they take off and they score 14 points in the first two drives, awesome, great. But expect that there still could be some slow feeling out just because they're replacing so many new guys, there's so much newness and communication that still kind of has to happen. And they are going to be so amped up because a lot of these guys are young and new. That might mean they get too excited. They start committing too much to this one, the other. So just be prepared. It's not the worst thing on earth. If seven minutes into the game, eight minutes into the game, it's six to zero, whatever. I don't know, man. I'm going to be hitting the panic button if the opening kickoff doesn't go out of the end zone. <laughs> don't be talking about special teams yet, man. We don't even, we don't know. It might be good. That wasn't even a problem last year, the kickoff thing. They didn't re return most of them. I know, but we've, it's a, it's still a traumatic, it's a wound. The, the, the scar is still there. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like if it doesn't go out of the end zone, be like, well, got some questions. Well, there's, a, there's a question mark here with the special team. Season's over, but they got this fresh new turf. Maybe he's got a, the plant foot is going to be able to, to grab. The new turf, I will tell you, looks beautiful. It, it, it does look fantastic. That was so badly needed. So, so badly much, needed. It was so much sand. Yeah. Yeah. It was not a good deal. No, but it, I think that that will be interesting. It looks like it's going to be fast. And I don't think that you could say that about that field for the last several years. Yeah. All right. We'll, uh, of course, recap this game next week here on Football and Random Things. Uh, you and I will be doing the pregame radio show uh, again. We're not going to do it live, but we'll be doing the, the show. Uh, so you guys will hear from us again Saturday morning ahead of, uh, ahead of the game, and we will talk to you guys again soon. Thanks again to our friends at Wiffles Hybrids for committing to be the presenting sponsors of Football and Random Things. For Jeff Woody, I'm Jared Stansberry. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.